First, just a little bit about me. My name is Pastor Carl, and this is From the Streets to the Sanctuary. And I just want to say I'm so excited that this room is filled today. I've been praying for all for since the National Youth Gathering was coming, and they asked me to speak, and I said, man, what am I going to talk about? And they just said, just tell your story. And I said, well, it's pretty long, so let me just slow down. But there's some things I want to do first. So y'all see I have a beard. Everywhere I go, people compare me to somebody. You know, when I didn't have a beard, all the kids used to say I looked like P. Diddy. So <laughs> I just think that was the only rapper they knew, and they saw me, and they thought I was a rapper. So that was one of those things. So I'm going to talk a little bit. This is my family. Uh, if you can't tell, I call my dad uh, the, the prototype because we look just alike in everything. That's my mom, Olivia, and my brother, Raleigh. There we go, family. If you grew up in the 80s, those wicker chairs were awesome. Don't clown on my red and blue Easter photo. And there goes my family again. So this is going to be very integral to our story today. So you get to see these people in the story. So who does it better? <laughs> what? Let, who? Rick Ross? Y'all know who that is? Rick Ross, the boss? Y'all know who that is? All right, all right, just making sure. All right, let's see if you know this one. Who does it better? Let me hear you. All right, that's what I'm talking about. All right, who's that? That is not Samuel Jackson. Who is that? That's not Tony Evans. Who knows who that is? Y'all right, who does it better? All right, all right, all right. This is, the, this is the one I get the most everywhere I go. Airport, everywhere. Who does it better? <laughs> everywhere I go. Who does it better? All right. So let me tell you a little bit of story about that. So why I do the beard thing. So I go to best practices in Phoenix, Arizona every year. And the lead pastor always talks about my beard. So he decided this year to have a beard contest since there were so many beards there. He kept calling me James Harden the whole time. He knows my name is Carl, but he keeps calling me James Harden. So one of the things he did was he had this beard contest and guess who won? All right. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. I work hard on my beard. I cut it short because my wife argued with me to cut it short. So there's gray in the beard. All right. This is me. This is me at 17 years old. First time. So uh, when, uh, today I'm going to be talking about two things that happened in my story. The first thing are barriers, and the second thing is calling. If you understand anything about the word of God, God says our callings are irrevocable. That means there's nothing in this world that can change the calling on your life. There's nothing. Even if, I, even if there's nothing, the calling is still there. It depends on how we respond to it. So this is me at 17 years old. So here I am at 3 a.m. walking down the street of Orlando, Florida, shoes in hand, barefoot, walking past prostitutes, asking myself, where has my life gone? And I remember it was one day when I was a kid. And see, my parents were divorced when I was six, so I went to Alang City to visit my dad. And so that's what you do when you're a divorced kid. You go to strange places where you know nobody and you visit your parents. 
And so I was there. My dad was living with this woman who had a son. So one day it's really hot outside, and we decide to do something that's wrong. But you know when you decide to do something that's wrong, you know it's wrong. But if somebody else does it with you, it's okay. That's the kind of thought I had. Have we ever been in that kind of situation before? Yeah, so, so we're sitting there in this day, and one of the, I thought for this one day, this one situation would just be one day. But it wasn't. It took me to dark places I'd never been before. So on that hot day in June, at 13 years old, I took my first drink of alcohol. And when I took that drink, it changed everything. See, I drink for one reason, to see if my dad cared. Because <laughs> I felt unimportant, and I, and I wanted to see if I was just a fixture in his life, or if he really loved me. And so today, I'm going to take you down some streets that I lived on. And as I take you down these streets, I just want, to, want you to see just my life. The first street I went down was regret. So every time I got happy and I, and I wanted to celebrate, or every time I got bad, I started to drink. I drank with my friends. I always, I always was the person that was fun and hanging out. But I was always masking my pain. I was masking my true identity and my true self of who I really was. And every time something would happen, alcohol would be something that would, would heal my pain. See, the second street I walked down was false identity. So when I'm walking down this street of false identity, every time I didn't tell my friends that I felt unimportant, that I'm living in fear and pain, and, and these things are continuing to consume me, so I became everything. I became a raver, a rapper, a misfit, an outlaw, a rebel. I became everything but Carl. And I didn't know at, at 17 that this, this street was going to lead me to what, we call, what I call my first real reality. See, my, my true identity wasn't living in a real reality. And the first real reality I lived in was jail. See, it was a badge of honor where I come from. See, all my friends were in sight. They say, Carl has survived the Atlanta Detention Center. I didn't tell them I was scared, filled with pain. I didn't tell them that I was crying on the inside and nobody was answering me. See, they didn't know that part. But see, at 17, I knew that I made this decision one day and I couldn't go back. And I said, I knew in that moment that I was unimportant. I knew that nobody cared of me. I became a statistic, a young black man who makes a lot of bad decisions. And so I thought my life was over. So I thought and believed. But God had a different story. So at 17, it leads me to another street. Let's go back to the story where it's 3 a.m. And I'm sitting there. I'm, sitting, I'm walking in the street and I'm sitting there. And then all, the next morning, the Holy Spirit wakes me up and says, go to church. I go to church that day. And I walk into this church. And I see a guy who is having a video just like me who's living in pain and regret and can't see anything in his life. And I said, you know what? I want to be delivered from alcohol just like him. And so I cry out to God. And so as I'm crying out to God, I found out who Jesus was for the first time, really. And I found out who I was 
for the first time in my life. And see, this is a story that I tell so many times to so many people because this is the story that changed my life. This is a story that purposed me. And then I, I understood my calling. So I went to this discipleship program called Teen Challenge. And while I was a Teen Challenge, uh, I always say this. This is my phrase. I say, everyone can get delivered, but not everyone wants the discipline. And so I was learning this discipline of living this new life. And I found out that I had a calling. I found out I had an amazing calling. I found out this calling was something that I knew when I was a kid. See, my mom lives in Panama, so it's not easy for her to communicate things with me. And I was going to record her telling the story of when I was a kid at nine years old. So when I was nine years old, I used to play preacher. I used to play preacher in the backyard. I didn't know it. My mom said, I told her one day and I said I wanted to be a preacher. There were three things that I always wanted to be, a preacher, a firefighter, and a rapper. So one out of three is good. <laughs> and so I'm sitting here, I'm, with my, uh, I'm sitting here remembering these things. You know, the Holy Spirit is so good. That's why I told you earlier, he's good at re reminding you <laughs> of who you are. So I'm reminded that I have like this calling. And these people want to invest in me. And I remember new things were happening. So this is the first time I shared my story, the same one, at a youth group in a country town called Jessup, Georgia. And then after that, I went to go be an associate pastor in St. Louis at a church plant. Then I started a youth group, The Branch, and working in the West End of St. Louis. And then I was, then I was still was working with Teen Challenge, going around churches, telling my story. I liked the thumbs up back then. That was a couple years ago. And so this is me as a missionary. I became a, a U.S. missionary to share this story and share many stories. So this is, a, this is an amazing time. So I'm going to talk about a guy named Angel. So when I was, when I was working with Teen Challenge, we used to go to Teen Challenges all around the nation. There's 150 of them, and we went to 22 of them, and there's one we went into Jay, Oklahoma. There is nothing in Jay, Oklahoma, absolutely nothing but thunderstorms and fields. That's all I saw. That was the hottest place I've ever been in my life was Jay, Oklahoma. So we're doing this thing, and there's this kid named Angel. He's, like, off to the side. He's, like, not talking to anybody, not doing anything, not smiling. Everybody else is having fun and joking around. This kid is just mad. Like, you know, you walk over to that one kid that's always mad, and he gives you that glare. And you're like, all right, man, I'm going to just leave you alone right now. And so that's what happened. So Angel was that kid. So this is the second day, and I had just talked to Angel. I was like, man, God really wants to be in your life and all this kind of stuff. So, so we were, the second day, we were playing tug of war, and Angel started to smile. I said, all right. <laughs> he smiled. And they were like, oh, man, what's going on with this kid? He smiled. And so all of a sudden, he won that tug of war. And then that night, we were sharing our stories with the Teen Challenge. And so all of a sudden, I'm sharing my story. I'm sharing everything. And I asked, I said, I said, who wants to know God? Who wants to really know God? And then the first person that came up was Angel. Angel came up. 
And his story was so amazing. His dad was in and out of jail his whole life. Then all of a sudden, his dad became a pastor, and he hated everything in Christianity, anybody that came after him. And I remember that day, Angel was crying. He was crying. I feel like his tears just filled the shirt, my shirt. And then all of a sudden, I knew the angel knew who God was. And the next thing I know, the whole, whole place erupts. And all these kids are saying, I want to know God too. I want to know God too. And all these kids are asking who God is in this moment. And I felt like that was part of my calling. To keep the working with kids, the working with people. So then I move across the nation, and I move to a little town. I don't know. I like little towns. Uh, so I move to a little town called Lima, Ohio, and I, get, I become a, pastor, a youth, young adult and youth pastor at this church. And so while I'm at this church, I start working with the youth, and these are two, two young men right here, David and Daniel. They're the first kids in the church that I baptized. David and Daniel are playing basketball for Miami, Ohio right now. But I remember they always had questions about who God was, and I always would tell them my story of how if he could find me, he could find you. And they were just super excited about that. And so as, we, as I'm going on in my life, I think about, man, at 29 years old, someone lost and confused all of a sudden discovers, discovers, his, discovers himself. And then there came the best moment. See this little picture down here? That's my wife, Melanie. I fell in love with a pastor's daughter. And we got, we got married. And all of a sudden, my life totally changed. So I thought I knew who Jesus was, but she really taught me who Jesus was. She grew up, so Melanie is amazing. She works here at the University of Minnesota. Uh, we have, we have a, a son Keegan, see everything in my life, so my, my calling was to be a father, and I didn't even know that, to be the dad I didn't have, and my son Keegan, he was, he was the joy of my life, he's truly a gift, he, we had Keegan five weeks early, he was premature, and we were so scared, we were so full of pain. I remember me and Melanie sitting there in the hospital room. Melanie is, is just hurting. She, she's had this, this long surgery, and, she, and we produced Keegan. I just remember us crying out for the grace of God and saying, God, we can't do anything for this child. We need you. We need you. And the next thing I know, God, God starts to bring health and vitality to Keegan. And so we'd be able to take Keegan home and raise him. And so that's part of my story. So I want to tell you guys something, and I want to just talk about calling a little bit more. The part of this calling was so important to me. So in Philippians 1.8, it says, God started a good work in you that he will continue until the day Jesus Christ returns. So often I sit in places and understand people that sometimes nobody says that God started something good in you. He started something good in you today. As you're here and you're going to be serving and you're going to be seeing people from all different walks of life and hearing all kinds of different stories, God started something good. Like you didn't start anything good because everything I tried to start, he, I messed up. So God started something good in my life. He started something good in my life when I was lost and I was 29 years old. And, he, and I was wandering and he said, I have something good for you. 
But there's something that I didn't see. It's this thing called hope. See, I grew up in a neighborhood in a city where hope wasn't something that was readily available. Hope wasn't just dished out like every day. Everybody wasn't encouraging me. Everybody wanted to say, Carl, you can go there. I was a statistic. I grew up a statistic. So hope was this place that I'd never been before. Then all of a sudden, I started to see hope that first day when I saw that guy's story on the screen. And I said, there's hope for me. And I want to tell you, whoever's here today and you're hearing this story and you may not be telling your youth leader or your parents and you're struggling with something, you're struggling with fear and pain, you're struggling with whether you measure up to what your parents say you're going to be, you're struggling with all these things. God is saying right now there's hope. See, my story is not mine. See, when I gave my life to Jesus, everything changed. Like, I have no more personal rights. So I, I, don't, I don't have rights to this story. And this is his story for what he's done for my life. And I want everyone in here just to realize that you have a calling. And that calling is irrevocable. And that God started something good in you today. And that, that today, today you can see that thing through just one story of hope. And so I'm going to just open up for some questions and answers. Lots of questions. You can ask lots of questions. Go ahead. Incarceration. I've been in jail six times. Um, it was something that uh, every time I was around somebody that was doing something wrong, I was always like the fourth wheel. Like I was always getting guilty by association. That was one of my. That was one of the biggest things that I always did. Anybody else? Well, before or after? During. There was nothing that was pulling me through. I kept going in the dark circles. I had suicidal ideations. I thought about how important, how unimportant I was. There was nobody that I could talk to, you know. And then when I was in jail, there was always like a group of like these raw guys who read the Bible. And I would try to stay away from them, but they will always be drawn towards me. You know, uh, if you ever, if, hopefully none of you have been in jail. So one of the things that happened while I was in jail was there was a lot of violence. And so there's this guy who had the same last name in mind, and he, he basically protected me when I was 17 years old in jail the first time. So I knew how to handle, I, I knew that was it. He was like, hey, this is my cousin. He was big. He was like Debo big. <laughs> like, I'm talking about big. And so nobody would bother me no more because he said, hey, that's my cousin because we had the same last name. I don't even know who he is anymore. So, so it, the hard thing was that God always brought somebody. Somebody in there to, to protect me and to guide me. I left them. I said, these are not friends that are going to uh, encourage my life, uplift my life, empower my life. I found friends that are doing the same thing that I was doing, seeking after God and wanting what God had. You know, if I would have stayed with them, I probably wouldn't be in front of you today. Did any of your friends No. Actually, so none of my old friends, like all my friends are now who, who I grew up with, do not believe in Jesus, don't care about Jesus. Uh, they're, they're still doing the same thing they've been doing. Some of them are dead. Like I've been to at least 15 funerals and at minimum. And so and some of them are still selling drugs and living that lifestyle. 
Anybody else back there? Oh, it's great. We spend, uh, we spend a lot of time with each other. One of the major things that I had to do was forgive him. And, and forgiving him for who he is. Say, hey, I love you for who you are, not for what you've done and not for how you treated me. And I love you for who you are. It's, it's, been, it's been a big breakthrough in our relationship. And so he, he, loves my, he loves his grandson, Keegan, all the time. So it's an amazing thing. Yeah, so my brother is a Muslim, and so uh, our relationship is he lives in California. My brother lives a totally different lifestyle than I live, like extremely different. And so we visit each other every Christmas. Every other Christmas, we go out to California, and uh, my wife's family lives out in California. So our relationship is so-so. So I posted this on Instagram, and he commented 100, so I think he likes this. Well, God said he forgave us first. And I thought, I think, I think like this. And this is just a thought pattern. Who am I to not forgive if God forgave me? Who am I? And so those are, those are just some of the thoughts that I have. <laughs> I've not rapped since Bible college, so No. <laughs> My wife said, as long as you don't become a 30 to 40 year old rapper, we can get married. So <laughs> that was her, that was one of her things. Go ahead. Uh, people didn't believe you or trust you, or trust what's going on. My family, they've never even heard of being a missionary before because uh, my, my families are CEOs, Christian, Eastern, and other. So, like, church wasn't something big that we did when I was growing up. So my mom, my mom, it took her two and a half years to even understand the concept of raising money and, and doing ministry in that capacity. Did your family support you and guide you on the Knowing, yes. Uh, so the first time I went to jail, uh, my mom had to put her house up for, for, uh, for my bail. But then the judge hired my bail. Uh, so I couldn't get out, and so it was. Uh, and then when I did get out, I didn't go home, and so my mom, my mom was on the on the limb. So no, there wasn't a lot of support because these were bad decisions that I was making. Yeah, there's uh, like you guys are doing these service events. This weekend, if you're drawn to, I like saying, if you're drawn to certain people, the people that I've drawn to are people who are in poverty, people who are homeless, people who, uh, who are like me, who have like my same story. And then one of the things my mentor in Bible college always said, it's always good to have a story of being faithful. Like sometimes like in church, we always say, man, you got to go through something for God to really use you. But God rewards the faithful as well. So if you are faithful to what God is calling you to or who God is, he's going to reveal. I believe he always reveals those things. And if he revealed it to me at nine through my imagination of playing and at 29, I realize it, then I think he can do that for all of us. Yeah. (laughs) No, actually. He was not from Team Challenge. 
So part of the story, there is so it, so many intricacies in the story. So I'm, I'm going to this church. I go to I see this guy, and I'm about to go into AA with the associate pastor and start that. Then I get a call from my uncle. My uncle went to Teen Challenge and went to Ridgeburg, and he said, Carl, you need to go to Teen Challenge. And I had cut off all my family, so I knew it wasn't me who had told him. So that's how I got He said, you call him on Monday, and they'll pick you up on Wednesday. Exactly what he said, they did it. So anybody else have any questions back there? Back there? Yeah. I go to an expensive barber. <laughs> No, and that's the thing about forgiveness. There's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness is one-sided. Like, I can always forgive my dad. I don't, I don't actually need him right now to acknowledge those things. But when we reconcile, we talk through those things. And so that was the, that was the hugest part for, like, me putting the expectation that he's going to acknowledge every single thing that happened in my life and hold it as he's going to be the accountable one to why those decisions happened because he had a failed relationship with my mother is really big thinking to expect him to do that. So I had to come to a point to expect him just for me to forgive him and say, hey, I just want to be in a relationship with him. I just care about who he is now. And in the future, I can't change what happened in the past. I can't make him relive those moments and make different decisions. All I can do is take this moment now and be in full relationship with him and give him the opportunities. I remember I visited New Jersey right after I got out of Team Challenge and I was with him and we were driving. And I said, hey, Dad, I got a calling on my life to be a preacher. And he said, I know. And so that right there just changed everything. I can forgive him after that. Like when, he, when, he, when I realized that, that he understood what was happening in my life. Um, quickly. Christians should be quick to forgive. We should be the quickest people on this earth to forgive anybody. Because uh, God forgave us. In the midst of who we are, I, I love the, the thought, like think of biblical mercy. So think of the seat you're sitting in right now and everything that you've done wrong and God forgives you right now. Then think about the person who's going to sit in the seat right after you. You should be forgiving just as that quick. It's hard, but it's quick to forgive. It's good. Well, the first road I went down was regret. Uh, I think some of the times if we, if we ponder on doing things differently, we forget to see how God traced things. As I, I call it like God traces an outline of your life. There's some things that every individual has to go through to see who God really is for themselves. And like I can't, like uh, I have a guy in my church and he was going homeless and I wanted to keep him living in my house. I wanted to do all these things for him and it's his job to go through these trials. And sometimes we want to rescue people from the trials that they go through. And I, I just remember my mom, she wanted to rescue me, but she had a friend that said, don't. <laughs> don't rescue him. Because as soon as you stop trying to rescue him, he'll come home. 
And she said she has a story about how I called right after she gave me over to God. And I came home. And so those are some beautiful moments of grace. And just uh, if, if you are going through something, you are. And you haven't tapped into who God is, right? you can. That's what this is all about. He's a real present God. He's a real present God. So I would say, I would say I don't regret any of those things. They're part of my story and part of who I am. And that, that God uses those things to show his greater glory. Everything. <laughs> I mean, when you turn a certain age... You look at all your friends and all the people around you, you see their status and see what they have, and you say, man, if I wouldn't have done that, I would be this fur. <laughs> if I wouldn't have done that. I have friends at 26 that own tech companies, and here I was still in drugs and alcohol. Like, I was like, man, if I didn't do that, I would be where they are on that, like, 90th floor in New York running a tech company. But that wasn't me. Well, so going to the funerals, a lot of my friends uh, died in the funerals before I got saved or came to Jesus. And then the second time was uh, I'm friends with a lot of people on Facebook and I reach out to them. And so I let it. So at first when I was doing it, I was like messaging them and saying they need to come to Jesus. And it changed their life and, and all this kind of stuff. And then they delete me. And so so then wait a couple of years. I said, maybe that's not the best approach. <laughs> And so after that, after, after I stopped approaching them like that, they started approaching me, asking me, like, real saying, Carl, will you come and marry me? Carl, will you come rededicate uh, our marriage and all those type of things? And so those were those are some of the, and some of them are drawn in. I have one friend. Uh, his name is Andy Klein. Uh, grew up, uh, his mom is like a millionaire. I grew up a millionaire, and uh, he got into drugs and alcohol. And then uh, he's, he's still, like, selling drugs and everything. But uh, he friended me back on Facebook, and he sees everything I do. And so uh, uh, he likes stuff. So I know, like, slowly people will, will understand and see the witness of what God is doing and believe that it's real. Like, some people are like, I don't know if it's real yet. I had a love for people. Like, I, I have an overwhelming love for people. Uh, it was, uh, and then uh, I had a spiritual, I had a, uh, a counselor in Teen Challenge, and some of their jobs was to, like, develop and tell you what your gifts are and who you are in that, in, in that form. And uh, he, had, he had really, like, told me, like, uh, hey, Carl, think about this. Think about these things. I really feel like you got a calling to go to the nations. So there was some encouragement in that when I was in Team Challenge. No, not at all. Because uh, one of the reasons, I, all the, so just to talk about this just a little bit, uh, I have a very complex story. So uh, most of the women in my family are, are Christian or would identify as Christian, and most of the men in my family would identify as black Muslim. And so that's who I identify with for a very long time in my life. And so one of the reasons that I went to, that going to jail was like a rites of passage, all those type of things. So my mother's brothers and my dad's brothers and all my cousins, everyone identified that way growing, when I was growing up. 
now it's like 90% of them are going to church and, and living for God, which is, which is amazing. Yeah, so I said, I said everybody can have deliverance. And then there's Team Challenge has a very strict discipline regimen. Like, you wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning and start praying. It's like an army. Like, you go, you walk in line. Like, this is a men's campus. You live with other men who are disciplined. And so there were some disciplines that they were doing. Like, I don't expect to, to do that at my church. So, but I know that was something that, that got me, that, that took the deliverance to another level with being disciplined. So they taught us how to read the Bible. They taught us how to study the Bible. They taught us about what it meant to be a Christian. They taught us all these things. And so I knew, like, when I, I knew who Jesus was and my identity in him by going through that. I was actually kind of mad because I grew up, like, going to Baptist church, and I went to, like, 50 new members classes. I always remember they were always go <laughs> to the new members classes. And I just remember, like, nobody ever told me what they told me at Teen Challenge, so... It was, uh, it was like one of those things, like, uh, they did, never taught me to discipline, so I was really excited with God and what God could do, and I became, uh, I just started reading his word, like, all the time. Like, other guys would be playing checkers and watching movies, and I would just be reading his word, and just loved, and just fell in love with his precepts and his insights, and I was just like, man, this is what I want. Well, this is one thing a guy told me, and I didn't believe it would be true. When you have children, you realize how selfish you are. <laughs> That's the first thing I like. <laughs> how selfish I was. Uh, this first thing about marriage uh, is that we found out was uh, we're very two independent people. We were married at older ages. My wife already had a career in college and already was doing her own thing. So two very independent thinkers coming together to, to think together. That, that was also one of the, the learning curves I had. She didn't have it. I had to learn a curve. So, and so those are some of the things that had to change. Uh, and my wife taught me one of the greatest values, I think, was compassion. You know, every time I would mess up, every time I would say something dumb or, or crazy, she had compassion to say, you shouldn't say that. <laughs> and so those are, the, those are kind of the, the things that, that usually as guys, you don't, nobody teaches you those things. And so... And so, uh, especially having it and then transitioning into being a father, like, uh, it was, uh, it was amazing for me. Uh, my son was the, is the, to me, everything he did was amazing. He rolled over it like three months. Man, this kid is amazing. He's the smartest kid in the world. I don't know about your kid, but my kid is smarter than you. And so, uh, those are the type of things that we would do. And then, uh, my son does this very very interesting thing, and I think it's because we celebrated him so much. Uh, he'll do, he'll like jump up and be like, look at me, daddy, see what I can do. Like, he's in that phase. And so I have to figure out ways to celebrate him, like really celebrate him. Not like every time he jumps up and down. And so uh, he's a, the look at me stuff. So yeah, it was, it was hard. It was hard going from uh, her family knowing that I came from an addiction background and incarceration background to transition, even though they were pastors, 
transition into like life. It took me, it's taken me about three, four years to gain like their trust and their reliance that I could take care of their daughter and that we can be in a, in a full marriage. Like just because I've been brought through something, that doesn't mean people don't, don't ask me these questions and not trust that I'm going to fall. So, and those are the things that happen. Yeah. So at first it was really hard uh, embracing my past. I felt inadequate in every room that I walked in. I felt like I wasn't who I, I felt like everybody knew they were better than me. I had, and then I also put affirmations in the wrong people. So I was affirming leaders more than I was affirming God. And it was putting me in some, some roller coasters of emotions of embracing who I was. And then uh, I spoke to, uh, there was a leader at Teen Challenge, and he just sat me down. And he said, stop affirming people. You're building idols in your life, Carl. These are, they're not God. They're just people. And then he was like, he was like you, can, you can control these emotions, these emotions that you're going through by, by accepting and taking responsibility of what you've done in the past and saying, I, and saying I'm going to try my hardest not to do those again. And so those are the things that, like, really changed. Like, I took responsibility. Like, that's why I could, take, yeah, I could tell you about this. I took responsibility for me messing up all the time. Like, it, even though I, I wanted my dad to notice me with drinking alcohol, but it was me. It wasn't him. He didn't give me the bottle. He actually told me not to do it. And so he actually wanted me not to be this. And so, and so we have to take responsibility for the decisions that we make and the, the mistakes and, and once we take responsibility and we hand them over to God and ask him, hey, help me be disciplined through this next season or through my life so these things don't come up reoccurring. And so there's just some things that people are just going to become reoccurring. If you have a story like mine, so. Yeah, I... I use the Bible like God says it in scripture over and over. Uh, he says in, in John 15, he says, I chose you. You didn't choose me. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I'm not here to harm or hurt you, but I'm here to prosper. I'm here to, uh, to prosper you. Like I think about those things. Philippians 1, 8 has been the thing that I've been standing on for 10 years. God started a good work in me. And he will not complete. Like, if somebody starts a good work, like, a, you look at somebody that has, he says, we are his workmanship. Like, my life is a workmanship of Christ. We are his workmanship. I start to look at those things and say, if I'm his workmanship, I'm his masterpiece. He don't want to make a, a mess up a masterpiece. When he looks at me, he wants me to be the epitome of what glorifies him. Like, he created creation to glorify him. And if my life doesn't glorify him, then all of a sudden I need to figure out what's wrong. And God wants us all to glorify him and who he is. And we're his creation. I say we are the ones that he loves. He created us to love him, to worship him. And then sometimes when we feel unworthy, we really, we really don't feel like God sees us. But we're his creation. We're a masterpiece in his eyes. He says we're the, apple, the eye, uh, we're the apple of his eye. I think that's so beautiful. 
one of the things I uh, like to do, and before we end, uh, if, you, if you're here and you want to know more about our story and, and what we do at Link Twin Cities and, and all the great stuff, I have some cards up here. If you, you, know some, you know a kid that you're around that needs to talk to somebody, come grab my card. Uh, we want, I, want to, I want to say I'm a resource to anybody and everybody. I just want to serve you in any capacity.